you know, more and more as we get head toward the, uh, you know, the last days or, you know, the end part of the last days, I think that the, uh, the church of Jesus Christ needs to not only be more visible in the, in, in the world and, and in the, um, especially in, in the times in which we live, but uh, we need to be more in fellowship with one another. And we're going to be discovering that we need to be more in God's Word together. Because if we keep our eyes closed or if we keep our heads in the sand, the enemy is going to do everything he can to disrupt what we have seen happen over the many years that this country, as young as it is, and it's still a young country in terms of what whole countries are nowadays, but uh, a country that was founded on, on the principles of the Bible and, and the fact that God was uh, so vitally uh, present. And today everybody's afraid to talk about God. The church can't be afraid to talk about the Lord. We need to be the witnesses of Christ in this world. Well, with that in mind, let's look at Isaiah 55, verses 3 through 7, and then I want to pray and get right into our study. As we continue on in this particular chapter, we start in verse 3 that says, Incline your ear and come to me. Here and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and commander for the people. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Shall we pray? Father, I am thankful for the abundance of your grace and mercy, mercies, as it were, that have been extended toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And how even today, Lord God, we are able to say with, with confidence that we have been lifted out of the pit of darkness, placed upon a solid rock and standing in the light of your presence and in the light of your word, not because of anything we've done, but because of everything that Christ Jesus has done for us. And tonight, as we come to your word, Lord, we pray that you'll give us light and wisdom and understanding through the anointing and blessing of your Holy Spirit upon each person that is here tonight. Awaken, Lord, those that are tired. We're all tired here tonight. But awaken us, Lord, to receive and not to miss anything that you have for us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Wake up, in other words. <laughs> Sit up straight. I don't want to get military here, but, you know, sometimes open your eyes a little bit. A story is told about two people who wanted to immigrate to America. They scraped up all their money to buy two tickets on an ocean liner headed for New York. With their last bit of money, they were able to buy enough bread and cheese to live on for the two-week journey across the ocean. For the first couple of days, the bread and cheese were okay. But by the tenth day, the bread was getting pretty hard, and the cheese was starting to mold. Every day, they would take walks out on the deck and wander by the dining room, where they would watch the other passengers line up in the huge buffet tables filled with all sorts of incredible foods. Finally, 
They approached one of the cabin stewards and begged if there was any way they could perhaps work to earn enough to buy maybe one meal up in the dining room. (laughs) But to their surprise, they found out that all their meals were paid for with the price of their tickets. If they had paid attention when they bought their tickets, they could have spent the entire trip in the dining room feasting on roast beef instead of cheese and crackers, or as it were, or as it was, dry bread. Isn't that interesting? When you think about that story, does it make you ask the question, is my communion and my fellowship with Jesus a feast Or is it merely a snack of cheese and dry bread? What kind of communion do you have with Jesus Christ? I'm sadly amazed at all the people who profess a relationship with Jesus Christ being so undernourished spiritually, not because uh, the food of God's Word hasn't been provided for them, but because they haven't listened to nor are willingly paying attention to the Lord. That's sad. I can even say with some confidence that there will be people here tonight that will leave without having received anything whatsoever. That's why I said, wake up. (laughs) I don't want you to leave here without what God has for you prepared already. But I say this because that is the reality. That's the reality that we see in 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 our services and in our Bible studies. Those who come willing to listen, willing to hear, are going to take home what God wants them to have. Others will just say, well, I'm just here because I have to be. As if you were forced to come. You know, the Lord has promised to restore His, His people Israel in this particular chapter as we're studying. But, but an invitation, if you remember, was issued to all, to Jews and to Gentiles, to receive the blessing. And notice, if you will, go back to verses 1 and 2 so we can read that together here. Ho, everyone who thirsts, it says, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. And let your soul delight itself. In abundance. You see, we were encouraged, we were encouraged last time from this text to listen diligently, weren't we? There's a little outline here from last week. To listen diligently to the Lord, which reminds us that it takes time. It takes attention and it takes an effort to receive this satisfaction that God promises. You have to listen diligently and carefully. We were also encouraged to eat what is good. Again, you go back to verse 2, you see these things. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good, which requires us to have discernment. To choose what is good and to eat that. Because there's a lot of stuff out there that you can eat, but it's not any good for you. So there's discernment that is necessary. Diligence, discernment, and then when you rest on those two particular things, lastly, we're encouraged to delight ourselves in the abundance of the spiritual meal that we've been given, rather than to be stubborn or critical, or even as, as is the manner of some, to be bored by what you hear. You listen diligently, you listen with discernment and take everything that is, that is good for you and eat that, then you will delight in the abundance of God's blessings. You see, in those days, the days of Isaiah and even in the days of Jesus, people had to work hard to dig wells. They had to work hard to care for their flocks and their herds. They had to work hard to plant seeds and tend their vineyards. But right here in this passage, the Lord had offered them everything. He had offered them everything that they were laboring so hard for at no cost. He says, come and take, come. Money is not necessary. 
Come to the waters. You who have no money, come. Buy and eat. Interesting that, you know, when it says buy and eat and it says without money. There's a little bit of an understanding here that buying is an action. You have to come to get it. You know, it's not as easy as it is today, you know, like on the internet. You know, buy is just press a button. You better watch out how many times you press it. <laughs> I've seen some websites that say, if you press that button twice, we'll charge you twice. The Lord says, come, buy, but you don't have to pay. Why? Because the price has been paid. Remember Isaiah 53. The price has been paid by the blood of Jesus Christ. And if they had listened to his word. You see, understand this. If they listened to his word, they would be inclined to come. This reminds us that the Lord draws sinners to himself through his word. Through his word. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Is that not what it says in Romans 10, 17? Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Jesus himself in John 5 verse 24 says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Notice how he says that. He says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has, has, that's present tense, has everlasting life. Now, get back to our text in Isaiah 55 and notice the emphasis on hearing in verse 3. Look at verse 3. Incline your ear. That's already dealing with hearing, isn't it? Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live. Twice it tells us here to hear. Incline your ear, come to me here, and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. The sure mercies of David. Now, the word incline literally means to stretch out, to, to spread out, as, as to turn and to bend down. And, and that would almost be as if you were to take your ears and stretch them out so you could hear better. I, I have a little problem with my, my ears gotten kind of old and then having played rock and roll for too many years, years ago, you know, they kind of lost a little bit of strength, you know, so, so sometimes, I, I, you know, somebody will say something, I'll do this, just, just because I, I get bigger ears now, that way. And with bigger ears, I can hear you better, you see. They're stretched out. Okay, so you got the understanding, then incline your ear, spread it out. A more modern translation puts it this way, and that's, uh, that's in the New Living Translation. That's uh, the same verse. Come to me with your ears wide open. Okay. That's a good picture. Come with ears wide open. Listen, for the life of your soul is at stake. Now the thought carries over from the last verse. Now we connect it to verse 2. From that idea where it says, let your soul delight itself in abundance, incline your ear. Whoever will truly feast off of the Word of God because you're listening, because you're stretching out your ears to hear everything that's being given. Listen, whoever will truly feast off of the Word of God must deliberately and willfully incline their ear. In other words, come with ears wide open. That's what I hope you did tonight. Come with your ears wide open towards what God will say towards what the Lord is saying to us tonight. And this is the very reason, and please listen to this, this is the very reason why two people can listen to the same message and one will benefit and the other will not. Isn't that strange? But it happens every time those doors are open. Every time the Word of God is presented. Two people can hear, one will hear one thing, the other will not hear the same thing. In other words, the one who did not benefit simply and plainly did not incline their ear to the Lord. And so, the benefit that comes from inclining the ear to God is a remarkable benefit. It says here, and you shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. I tell you what, don't miss this. This is a tremendous blessing, a tremendous promise. If you will hear, you will live. 
And you can go back to the thought of what Jesus said when he says, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. So by coming to the Lord, people will have life and the benefits of God's everlasting covenant with David. What benefit is that? Turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles. I hope you have your Bibles too. But in 2 Samuel chapter 7, turn there, if you will, to verse 12. And you want to read Second Samuel chapter 7. I'm always encouraging, you know, when I take you someplace in the Scriptures, I'm encouraging you to, you know, read the whole chapter when you get a chance tonight, if you will, or tomorrow. Put a marker there. Read the whole thing. Don't take that long. Before you go to bed tonight, read Second Samuel. Jay Leno will wait for you. Actually, you know, turn him off. Okay, Second Samuel 7 verse 12 says, When your days are fulfilled, listen, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers... I will set up your seed after you. This is a promise given, being given to whom? To David. Okay, so you'll know. I didn't want to confuse you. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body. Now take that. This is an important thought. And I will establish his kingdom. Someone coming from his body, from David's body. You got the picture? All right. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, if you're short-sighted, you'll think that's Solomon. You have to look way beyond that. Verse 14, I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I'll chasten him with a rod now. That is speaking about Solomon, by the way. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with a rod of men and with the blows of sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. So you you see this close look and then this far look and then a close look again. And you have to distinguish who's who's being spoken of. There's the, the near fulfillment. There's the far fulfillment. We've been talking about that since the beginning of Isaiah when we started that. Who knows when? I forgot. A long time ago. But if you remember... We talked about the fact that much of what we see in prophecy will show us some near fulfillments. The near fulfillment is that he's speaking concerning Solomon. Because you don't have to speak about that or like that about Jesus. Because that's the far fulfillment of this. God promised that a descendant of David would reign on David's throne forever. And this, of course, is Jesus Christ, a descendant of David. Luke chapter 1, verses 30 to 33. Notice when the angel comes to speak to Mary. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, And the Lord God will give him, notice, the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Why is the house of Jacob mentioned? Because that's Israel. Pure and simple. And there are, they are sure mercies, as he describes this here in, in, in Isaiah 55, the sure mercies of David. They are sure mercies because it is God who promises them. Always remember, if God makes a promise, he's going to keep that promise. If God makes a promise, he's going to keep that promise. If you or I make a promise, we may keep the promise, we may not. And if I were to ask you to raise your hand on this, I would say, if have any of you not kept a promise, you probably have to say yes. That's why I'm not telling you to raise your hand because some of you will be lying. And I don't want to get you in trouble with the Lord. So, you know, I'm your friend here tonight, okay? So I'm not trying to get you in trouble with him. He already knows anyway. I knew what you were going to say. I knew you were going to put your hand up. Ooh, okay, you know. I knew you weren't going to put your hand up. Mm, oh, you know, so listen, God already knows. See, so I'm not getting you in trouble. You're getting yourself in trouble. <laughs> okay. God promises, you see. Turn to Psalm 89. Turn to Psalm 89. Verses 1 through 4. We used to sing this song years ago. I won't tell you how many years. Okay. About 30 years ago. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. 
With my mouth will I make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall establish in the very heavens. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to my servant David, your seed I will establish forever and build up your throne to all generations. God keeps his promises because God is faithful. God is faithful. You know that the Apostle Paul would quote from Isaiah 55 verse 3 saying that because Jesus was raised from the dead, never to die again, he was the one who makes possible this everlasting contract of David's one of uh, David's sure mercies. Take for, uh, go, go to Acts chapter 13 and look at verses 34 through 39. And Paul is speaking here, and in Acts 13, verse 34, it says, And that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken thus. I will give you the sure mercies of David. So he's speaking of Jesus, isn't he? And then he goes on to say, Therefore he also says in another psalm, You will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Paul was always so clear about salvation. He was always so clear about justification. He was always so clear about the message of forgiveness. He was always so clear about our need to trust God in salvation. So Jesus Christ is God's covenant to the Gentiles. Just as He is God's covenant to the Jews. Jesus Christ is God's covenant to the Gentiles and His promises will stand as long as his son lives. And how long is that? Forever. As they say in one of my favorite little movies, forever. You see, Jesus will never die again. Because he's already died once. And he's risen. He's alive right now. And he's with us. Because he said, I'll never leave you, nor forsake you. Isn't that a wonderful promise? And as part of his sure mercies, the Lord promises the blessings of good and wise leadership. That gift he will keep on giving as God gave David and his extraordinary leadership as a gift to Israel. It is interesting to note that David was a witness. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself because I didn't give you the scriptures. Look at verses 4 and 5 now. Isaiah 55. Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and commander for the people. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. So again, as part of his sure mercies, the Lord promises the blessings of good and wise leadership. And those Gifts that were given to David for Israel, he's going to give to the descendant. And it's interesting to note that David was a witness, as we see here in verse 4, in the sense that he had a real relationship. He had a real experience with God. And could speak to Israel as a witness of what he had seen and heard in that relationship. Because I want you to notice what it says there. Look carefully. It says, Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people. Do you see that? It says, to the people, not of the people. He's not a witness of the people. He's a witness to them. Okay, do you understand the difference? We should. It's a very simple thought. But we can let it go by if we're not paying attention. As we said before, we need to listen carefully. So, he is a witness to the people, not of the people. So he can witness to Israel of that experience, what he has seen and heard God do in that relationship that David has had with 
with the Lord. He was also a leader for Israel. Notice that it says a, com- a leader and commander for the people. Now he is a leader for the people. Leading them spiritually, leading them politically, leading them militarily. He led with God-given strength and a shepherd's heart that genuinely desired God's best for the people. I tell you what, that is a unique, those are unique characteristics in one person. To have the, a spiritual type of leadership, to have a, a military and even a political type, because that's what he had to be for the people. As king, he was all of that. But here's the thing. So many people today want to be in, in, in charge of a nation, you know, and if they have no connection to God, what good are they to the people? See, those are some of the things we have to kind of consider in this election coming up. I don't tell you who to vote for. I'm not here to tell you that. I'm just telling you something. A true leader that is chosen by God, if, if, if that person is going to trust in God, is going to do so for all the people. And David did that for his people. Because he had a shepherd's heart. And he desired the best for God's people. He desired God's best for the people. That's a better way to put it. He desired God's best for Israel. And as a commander, David was a man that was truly after God's heart to boldly lead the people. Listen, the big difference, the the contrast between Saul and David is made clear in one verse. In 1 Samuel 13, verse 14, it says, Here Samuel speaking to Saul, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The prophet saying to this king that the people wanted. The people didn't want God to be their king. That was the problem with Israel at this point in time. They said, give us a king. We want a king. Like all the other nations. That we can see. That we can you know, follow. That can lead us. You know what? If you ask long enough and hard enough without really seeking God's face, you're going to get what you ask for. And they got Saul. And I'm not saying that Saul didn't try to start out good. But he didn't end well. And the prophet says to him, But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Saul didn't have a shepherd's heart. But David did. A shepherd's heart is one that is very clear in that verse. It is a man who is after God's heart. Because God is the shepherd. You see, Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything that I need. Why? Because that's the heart that needs to be emulated by those who want to be leaders and shepherds. The interesting thing is that these prophecies will be fulfilled ultimately. Oh, along the way, we'll see good kings and bad kings for Israel. And, and unfortunately, in the northern kingdom, which was Israel, the, the, the divided kingdom of Israel, the northern, they had no good kings at all. The sun, southern kingdom had a few good kings. But uh, nonetheless, the fulfillment here ultimately will be by one of the house of David who will reign in the millennium, the time to come, which is of course going to be Jesus Christ. I'd like for you to turn to the book of Ezekiel for just a moment. Here in Ezekiel chapter 34 as well as in Ezekiel chapter 37. I know that they're very repetitive sounding passages, but I want you to notice that any, and, and, and remember that any time we see something doubled in the scriptures, it's of greater, greater importance. There's great importance, there's greater importance... And there's the greatest of importance <laughs> three times. And I think that that's a good time for me to remind you what Isaiah 6 says. When the angels cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. That's of greatest importance for us to remember. That God is a holy, holy, holy God. Ezekiel 34, verse 23. The Lord says, I will establish one shepherd over them. And he shall feed them, my servant David. Now, David, of course, we've already seen in, in, in the scriptures, as Paul has told us in Acts chapter 13. 
David is, is buried and dead. So this has to be then the seed, the descendant, the one to come. I will establish one shepherd over them and he shall feed them, my servant David. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God and my servant David, a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Of course, in Isaiah chapter 9, we're told that the Messiah is the prince of peace. You see the connection. Then in Ezekiel 37, verse 24, again we see these same basic words. David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. Then they shall dwell in the land that I have given to Jacob, my servant, where your fathers dwelt, and they shall live there, they, their children and their children's children forever, and my servant David shall be their prince forever. So once again, we're given that picture that is to come of that ultimate fulfillment of Jesus Christ being the descendant of David on an everlasting throne. Not a, not a temporal throne, but an everlasting throne. So as we look at Isaiah 55 verse 5 then, getting back to our text, we are prompted to ask the question, who is the prophet addressing in verse 5? Is he addressing David or is he addressing Israel? Is he addressing David, the leader and the commander of the Lord's people? Because that's what we see in verse 4. Or is he now addressing Israel? And so in verse 5 it says, Surely you shall call a nation you do not know. And the nations who do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for He has glorified you. Now while it is possible that He is addressing both Israel and David, and let me just say that it's possible that He's addressing David only from the standpoint that David is, is, is the one who is, is going to uh, call a people that He doesn't know, nation, he doesn't know are going to run to them because of this throne. And I'm just, again, focusing on the throne of David. That's what upsets the context here. So when you look at the, the, the language of the verse, it seems clear then to see Israel as the vessel that God will use to call Gentiles. Throughout these last few sections of, uh, of Isaiah, we're going to see the word peoples a lot, or the nations a lot. And those two words, peoples and nations, always refer to the Gentiles. So if we consider this as being more Israel than just David... They are being called as a vessel to bring Gentiles into salvation. The ultimate fulfillment again is in the millennium when the nations will flock to Israel. Please, if you will, go forward to Isaiah 60 verse 5. Go forward to Isaiah 60 verse 5. And then in the same chapter, verse 9. Isaiah 60 verse 5 says, Then you shall see and become radiant, and your heart shall swell with joy, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you, the wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. So here again, speaking of, of uh, Israel and Jerusalem, and, and, and to the Lord who will reign in Jerusalem. Isaiah 60 verse 9, Surely the coastland shall wait for me, and the ships of Tarshish will come first to bring your sons from afar, their silver and their gold with them, to the name of the Lord your God and to the Holy One of Israel, because He has glorified you. But now if you go back all the way to the beginning of Isaiah chapter 2, and you see these words in verses 1 through 4, the word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains, in other words, Zion, and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations will flow, shall flow uh, to it. You see that? All nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. You know, the United Nations adopted that particular passage, the last part in verse 4, as, as one of their, you know, uh, uh, one of the things that are written is someplace on the United Nations building there. They're turning swords 
into plowshares, spears, into pruning hooks. And, and it reminds us how man has such good intentions, you know, for peace, good intentions to solve the world's problems. But what have we learned about that? That mostly man is trying to solve the problems without God, who is indeed the one who is able to bring peace in his way and in his time. And now it's getting even worse when you think about how groups and peoples and nations and and organizations are trying to wipe the name of God out. I had an interesting email. You know, we always get emails that people send and sometimes they're true, sometimes they're not. And I certainly want to check it out. but, But if it's true, how sad that at the World War II Memorial in, in Washington, I believe, uh, they, uh, they have a section of this particular memorial that has the speech of, uh, of Franklin Delano Roosevelt when in 1941 he gave that particular speech about uh, uh, December 7th uh, being a day of infamy and so on and so forth. And, and, and it ends at a certain spot. And, and this one person who had gone there to see this was, was a relatively young person in his 50s uh, and all these older people that were there who remembered World War II, one lady in particular said, uh, he heard her say, why did they leave? That's not how it ended. And then she mentioned the last uh, phrase that, you know, would say uh, in so many words, and with God's help, this is how we're going to do this. But that, that part of it wasn't on the memorial. And they walked away sad because they said, that's not the speech. And they, they remembered it. They lived it. They know exactly what was said. How sad that is. And I'll check it out and see if it's true. But I mean, the fact of the matter is, if that's true, how sad in our country. And we're looking for every reason to take the name of God or just God itself out of, out, of our, out of our government. But you see, this will become true when Jesus Christ comes and establishes his kingdom on earth for a thousand years ruling and reigning from his throne, the throne of David, in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem. And that's why I tell you people, I I tell you, I'm not afraid, we shouldn't be afraid to go to Israel, to gain the the education and and the stuff that we can learn from from that uh, trip. It's an invaluable lesson. And uh, every time I go, I, I, I learn something new about just the love of Christ and the love of God for his people. In Zechariah chapter 8, verses, verse 22, I should say. Zechariah 8, verse 22, it says, Yes, many peoples and strong nations will come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem, notice, and to pray before the Lord. That's when Jesus comes to reign, you see. So that is what the sure mercies of David is, is pointing toward. Let's go on, though, in verses 6 and 7 now of our text as we come now to the close of our study for tonight. It says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Now, now let me say that uh, we, we need to keep this in context with what we've just read in verses 3 through 5. But this is uh, a passage that, that we use oftentimes to tell people, you need to seek the Lord. And we can take this, it's not a matter of taking it out of context, because this is God's word, it's, it's God's true word, to encourage and to bless people. So we're going to keep it in the, in, within the context of everything, but at the same time, understand that this is something that we all ought to be doing. Verse 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. And the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. You see, there is a sense of urgency impressed not only on God's people, but especially on the wicked. I want you to notice that. This is not just one to the other. This is rather a blanket exhortation. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. And the unrighteous man his thoughts. But then it says, let him return to the Lord. Why, why, can that, why, why is that? 
the, written the way it is. Because how wicked had Israel become by this time? How wicked had God's people become? That now they're being told, let him return to the Lord. You see. So if we gain the understanding of the context here, then he's speaking not only to God's people, but especially on the wicked to seek and to call on the Lord, because when his judgment comes, it will be too late. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Why? Because if you don't, it's going to be too late. This is the time, in other words. This is the time right now to seek the Lord. This is the time right now, because God can be found right now. So seek him now. Let's not have that attitude like some people have that, you know, mañana, mañana. Oh, we like the mañana. Oh, can you do this? Yeah, I'll do it. Mañana. But mañana never comes for some people. Tomorrow. Tomorrow, tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. It's only a day away. Okay, a week away. A month away. And it never gets done. Seek Him now. I don't really need the Lord right now. I'm having too good of a time in this life. We think of the man that Jesus talked about. Acquired great wealth and he built all these barns and silos to build, you know, to keep all of his treasures and and he admired all the stuff that he had, had, had built up for himself and then he died. Never thinking about his future in eternity. We need to be very conscious of that future. By the way, it isn't that God is hiding when it says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Because God doesn't play hide and seek. Okay. It is that he can only be found when our hearts are inclined, inclined to look for him. And that inclination, you see, that inclination itself is a gift from God. Because we must receive the gift and make the most of it while we have it. Make the most of the gift that God gives you while you have it. Make the most of the gift of God's Word while you have it. Make the most of God's Spirit who says that He would be with us and He'll be in us while we have Him. Make the most of the gifts that God gives us while we have them. Because not seeking and failing to call upon Him while He is near simply means that we will not receive the blessings that He promises. From the standpoint of rejecting the blessedness that God gives. I'm not talking about losing salvation. Just think about what God has given us. Are we using it for his glory and for our good and the good of others? Or are we wasting the things that God gives us? If you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4, from this being in the Old Testament, it says in verses 29 through 31, it says, But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you seek him. Notice, if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in distress and all these things come upon you in the latter days, when you turn to the Lord your God and obey His voice, for the Lord your God is a merciful God, He will not forsake you nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant of your fathers which He swore to them. I believe this comes back to that issue of abiding in Christ. It comes back for us as Christians to that issue of abiding with Christ. For if we abide in Christ, He abides with you. And in Psalm 145, verse 18, it says, The Lord is near to all who call upon Him. To all who call upon Him in truth. 
Notice, in truth. Not in some of the things that people are doing today that they, you know, they say, well, you know, I, I, I hear God in, in, in this kind of meditation or that kind of meditation or this kind of New Age thing or, 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 or this Kundalini or, you know, yoga thing or whatever. I mean, you know, people are looking for God in all kinds of different ways. Look, we have to, we have to call upon Him in truth. And the truth is God's Word. And knowing God's Word. In the book of James it says, draw near to God and He'll draw near to you. Well, that's simple. You don't need to sit in the lotus position with your hands up here and going, oh. I can't even get in a lotus position. I hurt myself. Call me, call a doctor and tell him we've got a pretzel here. Forget all that. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Simple. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Simple. Let me just say it this way. The flesh is complex. The spirit is simple. How many of you have discovered that in your life? You can raise your hand if you want. Man, the flesh is complex. But the spirit of God is simple. And when does God seem far away? Notice that I said, when does God seem far away? The book of Hebrews, it says in Hebrews 3, verses 12 through 15, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become part, uh, partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end, while it is said, Today, if you will hear my or his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in... As is in, I'm sorry, as in the rebellion. When does God seem far away? When we harden our hearts. But, remember Sunday? The word but, the important word. But, in Ecclesiastes 9 verse 10 it says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you're going. In other words, when you're dead, it's too late. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Look at verse 7. It says, Let the wicked forsake his way and the, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. There is also urgency here for repentance on God's people as well as the wicked Gentiles. Repentance is simply turning from our own way and turning into God's way. This is what it means to return to the Lord. Here it is. We can never walk on God's way until we forsake our own way. Turning to the Lord, one will receive mercy and pardon. And when it is said that an unrighteous man is to forsake his thoughts, that's a reminder that God doesn't just look at the outward person, but He looks at the heart, the thoughts. Of each and every one of us. This, is, this was certainly the problem of the scribes and the Pharisees in, in Jesus' time, wasn't it? Remember in Matthew chapter 23, that, that, that great uh, admonition toward the... Actually, it was a judgment being given by Jesus to the scribes and Pharisees, Matthew 23. But in verse 25, it says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Clean the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which never appear beautiful outwardly. I'm sorry, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly. My prints are real small here. Which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. You see, the inside. It's no little thing. We're almost done here, but it's no little thing that God wants us to return to Him after we've fallen. And it is no small thing that the Lord wants to forgive us 
It's no little thing that, the, that, the, you know, that, that God wants us to return to him. But it's no small thing that the Lord also wants to forgive us. It's not a small thing. It's a major thing. It's an important thing. In Psalm 32, verses 1 through 6, David, in writing this psalm of, 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 uh, of repentance and forgiveness, he says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. And we know that David experienced such a, such a great fall before the Lord and yet he understood also the blessedness of God's forgiveness Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. You see, in 1 John 1, 9, it says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If there are any words that we want to underline in our text tonight, there are five simple words. Start at the end of the text And then you go back up to the beginning of the text in in Isaiah 55. Start with the word seek. Seek, call, forsake, return. That's all at the end of our passage tonight. But you go back to the beginning of the passage and you mark verse 2 and in verse 3. Listen or hear. Listen. Seek, call, forsake, return. And all of that comes into play in our lives when we listen carefully to the Lord. When we incline our ear, when we come to Him, when we hear, it says, our soul shall live. Now, does it make sense? The importance of hearing carefully, diligently, the Word of God. Because I, I would want it to be tonight, as we leave here today, I would want it to be that we've all heard, and we've listened diligently, and we're ready to discern what is good, and take that what is, which is good, and then to delight in the blessings and the abundance of God's grace and mercy. Let's pray.